Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Candice LaPage. And Peter Wesley Salmon. And uh, the whole gang is here in, in, the, in the bosom of the Zoom meeting for our year-end show. I... It, warms my heart uh after how many years we've been doing this six six anyone want to confirm six sure thank you thank you six (laughs) okay 2017 yeah six okay good all right there we go so um clearly the camaraderie has has really developed here um and i appreciate (laughs) it (laughs) <laughs> um, it's a tight, tight knit group. It is. It on is. Zoom. A, it is a tight knit group on Zoom. I agree. End uh, credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies. Which this week will be our top five of 2023. Um, maybe to kick off, let's just go around the horn really quick. Uh, Tim, good movie year or okay movie year? Oh no! Wait, how about this? Great movie year or the greatest movie year? Um, I think it's you a great way to mo- play your cards, Adam. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a great movie year. I don't know about greatest was, movie year. I was just um, a, I was having but, a laugh. You know, but... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of recency bias these days, so I'm sure a lot of people think this is the greatest because mm-hmm. maybe they haven't watched movies before. 2009 or something right candace how about you good year um it's been fine i uh, i don't know maybe maybe i just need to stop watching trailers entirely but i found so many movies i'm just like i have no interest in seeing that uh and i would say i probably haven't seen most of the biggest movies of the year because i just I just felt no drive to go out and see them. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the wrong one. Okay, Peter, you have to break the tie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> um, it was for me, it was one of the best in a while um, regarding comedies uh, in particular, uh, and including some Canadian films, which I think uh, I really enjoyed instead of to me. But mm-hmm. um, uh, regarding blockbusters i don't know if it's been like that great of a year like there's been a couple like Dungeons and dragons and spider-man uh but overall it's not you know like uh it's not the best year regarding that like mission impossible is the only real kind of standard i can think of um so it, it, it's when it comes to like hollywood blockbuster it's been whatever film as a whole it's been a pretty good year pretty mm-hmm. good year well if you can't trust the man wearing the Cheers t-shirt to have his finger on the pulse of modern pop culture. I don't know who you can is trust. There, is there going to be a Cheers I movie did, next year? Maybe. I do want to say I did get it in <laughs> the Cheers restaurant, so it is legit. So you could, I can be trusted for media. All right. Your, 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 your butt is covered. All right. Uh, so as a usual, we do our top five um, of the year for the last show of the year. And uh, I have uh, gone to the trouble, the extraordinary trouble, of pulling up a decent random number generator to determine the pecking order for this episode. I'm going to go last because of the debacle and accusations of bias that happened in our 300th show. So I'm going to let the gang choose the closest 
or choose a number between one and ten. I'm just gonna hit the random number generator here a couple times to randomize. Okay. Uh all right. Tim, choose a number. Uh six. Okay. Candace. Four. Okay. Peter. Uh three. All right, the number was six, so Tim gets to go, followed by Candace, followed by Peter, followed by me. All right, so Tim, you get the honor. First, uh, what is your number five for the year? All right, thanks, Adam. Uh, my number five for the year is Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, it's a French film, courtroom drama thriller. It's a procedural. Um, I saw the trailer for it, and I'd heard a lot about it. It's done really well at the Cannes Film Festival. I think it, it's played at other major festivals, um, won a lot of awards, and I'd heard a lot about it. And then I, I, I was kind of delaying watching it. And then I saw the trailer during another film I was watching, and I was like, wow, this, this looks really good. So went out and saw it, and it was kind of different than the trailer in a lot of ways. The trailer was like action-packed in a almost like a Hollywood way, even though it's a, a French film. But it's really a procedural where it gets into uh, the crime, the crime scene, what really happened uh, during those moments. Did she kill her husband or didn't she kill her husband? Um, and then it goes into the courtroom and there's these extended courtroom scenes, which are really interesting, too. You're seeing a, a French courtroom a lot different than you would see in like a Hollywood movie or law and order, but still a lot of similarities there. A lot of great dialogue delving into the relationship of the lead character and her husband. And it's, uh, yeah, it really, uh, really caught my attention. And it's, it, there's a lot of ambiguity in it as well. It's like, you're not sure what I like to, I'll probably get, I'll get into more about the plot, but at the ending um, I thought was ambiguous and my wife, Sandy thought it was clear cut. So it's like, <laughs> it's ambiguous, whether the ending is ambiguous, I guess. Right. So that's kind of interesting. It's kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's considered a French film, but the lead actress, Sandra Huller is German mm -hmm. and she speaks English for much of the film. Um, she lives in France in, I think, near the Alps with her husband, um, who's French, and she's German, and they're both writers. Uh, but it starts with uh, Sandra, the lead character, getting interviewed uh, um, from someone from a university's come to interview her about her writing. And Samuel's upstairs, supposed to be doing renovations on their cabin, and he's just playing his music really loudly. So it's very passive aggressive. He just plays the same song over and over again. Apparently the song, I read this after, is like 50 Cent. But it's just instrumental. Um, so I guess there's a comment about the song being misogynistic. But you don't really tell that. It's, it's just instrumental. But he's playing it over and over again. And, and um, she has to cut the interview short. Then later on we cut to her son who's blind is going out for a walk in the snow with his guide dog. He returns and sees the husband lying flat or lying on his back on the snow, blood splattered everywhere. 
And so then the question is, what happened there? Um, and the only witness is her blind child and the dog, basically, are the only witnesses. So it it goes in depth about relationships, you know, jealousy in relationships, especially with like two creative people. Uh, a, a lot's brought out about the deterioration of their relationship. Um, she's seen, I think, throughout the film, Sandra's seen almost sort of as a villain. Then you start to see, okay, really what happened in their relationship. And she speaks English because she says that's that's sort of like her landing place because she doesn't speak fluently in French. She doesn't speak fluent. She does in German, but she's in France. So that's sort of a common language, as we all know, around the world, you speak English. So there's some interesting courtroom scenes where she's getting emotional or really trying to delve into the details where she has to cut from her broken French to English. And it, it's a great comment on uh, communication, relationships, and uh, two fun facts. Well, it won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. And the dog won the Golden Dog Award at the Film <laughs> Festival, which is fun. And if when you watch the end credits, the dog, whose real name is Messi, gets uh, top billing in the end credits. So nice. there's a, a sense of humor there uh, in the credits. Uh, but mainly, it's really focused on the crime, really gets into the forensics of the crime. Um, could the son have heard shouting from outside with the music um it gets into all these details and it's really cool from that standpoint it's sort of a uh, analysis of a crime mm -hmm. and uh yeah I, I think it'll get a lot of attention i think it's up for some awards coming up and i really liked watching anatomy of a fall highly recommend it it's number five on my list okay candace number five for you yeah, I'm going to start immediately with a controversial one because nice. I heard the episode where I believe you and uh, Peter reviewed this uh, and did not like it. But uh, my number five is Theater Camp, uh, which I think, I think, is. Let me correct. I believe Peter liked it. I was not a fan. I, I loved I loved Theater Camp. Oh, okay. Yeah, I gave it yeah. great reviews. Yeah, so that's, so all, it was that's just, all I know. It was Adam's disdain that just. <laughs> Just spread across the entire episode, as I remember. Oh, it's great um, that he's going last this time. So <laughs> we've got power in numbers this time. Uh, yeah, so I mm. love Theater Camp. Uh, my review was actually um, perfect, no notes. Uh, I did not give it a five out of five, though. I'll be honest. It's obviously, there's obviously better movies this year since I did put other movies ahead of this. Um, but I, I loved this movie. I... Just I saw it in the theater. I went to uh, the bookshelf and got to see it. So uh, generally when you're at the bookshelf, it's a smaller crowd and you can feel pretty sure that almost everybody there is there because they know the movie they're seeing. They want to see it as opposed to when you go to a bigger theater, you know, people can just wander into a, any movie going, oh, it's Tuesday. We should go see a movie. What do you want to see? I don't know. Let's try this theater camp thing. <laughs> When people go to the bookshelf, it's because they're seeking out a, a specific movie. So um, the audience was full of the right people who really, who really got the jokes. Um, I I will sort of admit that the uh, story itself is very basic. Um, it sounds complicated because it starts with like a woman going into a, a coma, 
you know, it's very musical type thing. Uh, but woman who owns the theater camp goes into a coma. They're just about to start filming a documentary about her and the camp because camp is just about to start in, you know, a few days. So uh, her son has to take over so the kids can all go to camp. All of the, the counselors can go to work and they decide to make the documentary about that instead. The son doesn't understand theater. He's kind of a jock. Uh, he's a bit of a YouTube star. Uh, he's uh, major himbo vibes, as as they say, as the kids say nowadays. Uh, and he doesn't get it and uh, ultimately accidentally sells the camp uh, to a rival camp group. And then everybody has sure to come does. together and save the camp. Mm -hmm. Classic, classic storyline. Nothing unexpected happens in it. But that's the whole thing. The whole point of most musicals is you get a really easy, simple storyline. Nobody's super surprised. You just lay a framework so that you can have all sorts of great musical bits. And this one, it was you just lay a framework so you can get all sorts of jokes and satire about musical theater. Uh, I thought it was great. I loved it. The fact that the... Um, two directors and sort of four writers are all friends from theater camp. They all met together, you know, decades ago, have come up together. You know that these jokes are things that they have actually lived, that they they have workshopped for years. Um, I thought it was great. I loved it. I have recommended it to every single person I know, basically, because I spend a lot of time with musical theater nerds and theater nerds in general. Uh, yeah, I was one of those those drama kids. I will say it was a really good year for neurotic for films about neurotic people in the arts. So that's I, I think we'll see some other mentions in, in around that subject matter in this list. Peter, you're I number think that five. Himbo, himbo character was really good. He was good. Yeah, I mean, was... there was it was it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, Peter. Okay, what's... Adam. Whatever. <laughs> Peter, help me out. What's your number five? Uh, so number five for me is not that film, but another comedy. Uh, I picked Shortcomings, uh, directed by Randall Park. Mm -hmm. uh, I think most people would know him from the show uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, I don't really have any of the words for it. It's just a show. Um, it's not not a great one, but Randall Park himself, a uh, wonderful actor, but it was really great seeing him uh you know, finally direct, not just direct, but uh, paid off with a really great, uh, strong comedy. Uh, it unfortunately didn't even make a million in the box office, but um, it did really well at the Sundance Film Festival, got a lot of applause and everything. And, uh, you know, Sony did pick it up, decided to push it out. Um, and yeah, it's just, um, I think it says it's a romantic comedy, but I would say it's more a comedy drama. Um, and it's just about Ben, played by Justin H. Min. Um, and, uh, you know, his partner leaves him because he's kind of lazy and just focused on his writing. And, you know, he kind of chases after her, but she's she's doing better without him. So he just kind of then figures out what to do. Or I guess he kind of figures out that he doesn't know what to do yet. And like, that's fine. It's really just just to look at Ben's life, just to look at his recent breakup, um, his, I guess, quarter life crisis or maybe midlife. How old are you now? Justin H. Men. Let's see. 
is like 30. So it's like third life crisis sort of thing. He's having troubles. Um, he's like a, he's like a, a slacker in 2023. It's like a, he's stuck. He's stuck in the nineties kind of. Um, and even though just a really simple plot, it's like theater camp, just very, uh, every, every line, there's some humor there, but there's also a lot of uh, a depth. Like there's, you really do feel his love for her, but you also, it's enjoyable. You, you, you don't like her and you don't agree with him. Um, it's, 90% of the time his best friend who you agree with and she is hilarious in it um i think sherry cola is the actress um and it's just yeah it's hilarious um and other than that being asian american uh you know directed written from a book based on that um the one character is also like openly gay and everything and it's just very um uh it'd be great if it wasn't but it's also liberal which is really good um current times regarding social matters at least um so yeah it's just it's just hilarious and i would recommend it uh again i said it's i think clarified as romantic but don't don't expect that it's not a romantic <laughs> film it's it's not um it's it's a comedy drama mm-hmm. um and i would say dominantly comedy but the drama like i said there's 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 some layers there you do care about ben uh sometimes you hate him but you do care for him and his bestie. Um, and I think my favorite part about it is the person he's chasing after and loves, right? The person that she, I guess, cheats on him with or ends up with is actually pretty cool. He's like, he's a lot of fun. I liked him. And, and like, you're supposed to. It's like, he, you want to hate him, but he's just a really nice, just jolly, regular guy, common dude. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a really funny film. But like I said, it has some uh, serious attachments and just really important, um, you know, for more quality in the in the uh, massive film line. Because this is a a Sony Pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it had done better, but I have heard on streaming it's doing okay. It's it's doing quite well on streaming. So, okay. yeah, number five for me, Shortcomings. Okay. By Randall Park. Okay, uh, number five is the one I had the hardest with because m- making one through four was pretty easy, and then I had like ten different competitors for number five. Um, so literally the last minute pick. Although people will probably hear it and think like you really took you that long to place it on the list. It's Barbie. Um, biggest film, the biggest film of the year, but also richly deserved to be a, like one of the biggest film of the year. It's so interesting that, and I think I mentioned this at our breezy breakfast appearance, Candace, that, you know, it's so weird that um, a major studio gave $150 million to uh, an indie darling to make a movie about the most famous doll of all time and then to fill it with questions about what is Barbie's role in developing feminist ideals in the 21st century? What is patriarchy? Um, <laughs> what is... Uh, you know, what are we supposed to take away from Barbie? And then also to stuff it with like crazy references, like the teen talk Barbie with the boom box in her torso or magic earring Ken. Um, and you know, last but not least, it's a great showcase for Margot Robbie. It's a great show uh, for her as a producer, as, as well as being an actress, also a great showcase for the comic, uh, comedic stylings of Ryan, Ryan Gosling giving off big himbo energy. I almost, called him Reynolds because uh, I guess there can only be one funny Ryan but I think at this point we can say it's Gosling if nothing else it made people realize how funny Ryan Gosling can be if you didn't see the nice guys 
um, because he was also really funny in that bit, kind of playing a himbo character. But um, yeah, I like Barbie a lot. And uh, it's it sort of amongst the mass of other movies I like this year, if it, it, it had to fill that last position on my top five list, then I'm glad it did. Okay, uh, Tim, your number four pick, please. Thanks, Adam. I've got a pretty punchy review for this one because it's Barbie, which is what you picked for number five. So um, I'd say maybe some points that you didn't talk about. I'd say it was great because it met expectations for me. Mm. It didn't like exceed expectations, but it had such high expectations going in. There was so much hype around it that I saw it and I was happy walking out of the theater. I thought it touched a lot of uh, feminist points, but in a, in a nice, nice way. Um, in a, I thought America Ferreira's monologue was amazing. I hope she gets uh, more and more credit as it goes forward. I thought Kate McKinnon is weird Barbie. That's something we can all relate to. We all abuse our toys when we're younger. So that made a lot of sense there. Um, and like like you said, Ryan Gosling was amazing. So was Margot Robbie in the lead role as Barbie. And it was interesting giving this to uh, Greta Gerwig to take over. Uh, Lady Bird's one of my favorite movies. I don't think it lives up to that. It's not at that level. And I'd like to see her do more original work. I think she's doing a lot of adaptations or stuff based on properties. Uh, but it works really well in in, in this film. And I, um, yeah, I think it's uh, made over a billion dollars, but it's worth looking at it as a film because I think it, 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 it works really well and really mm. gives that message and makes you, makes you think um, afterwards. Uh, certain things that kept it from being a perfect movie for me would be there was like criticism how it's all men on the Mattel uh, board. I <laughs> yeah. thought that was a bit over the top. And I thought there's an opportunity there to have a couple women on the board, but they don't listen to the women or something, you know, that could have been better for satire purposes. Uh, but overall it was great work. A lot, a lot of fun, but a really good message as well. Very empowering film. So really enjoyed Barbie thought it met expectations. I think you're. I think you're right about the Mattel stuff. I think that is kind of the weak link of the movie. But uh, hey, that that movie had a long, lot of strong links too. Okay, Candace, you're number four. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going in a different direction here. So uh, my number four is. Um, I think it might actually be the prettiest movie of the year. Mm. Um, but since we have to base movies on a lot more than just uh, you know what it looks like, um, knock at the cabin. Mm. is uh is number four for me so um m night Shyamalan, uh you know doing a, a book by paul tremblay which i haven't actually read yet but uh i understand is is a little bit different does uh, you know uh Shyamalan did take a few liberties uh changing a few things so i i still am hoping to get to read that so i can see what's different um because the the reason I would say this movie is not higher on my list is because the ending was a little basic. Mm. Um, it was kind of like it was the safest of the options of of potential ways to end the movie. But uh, I, I will say, like, 
just standout performances, particularly by uh, Dave Bautista and um, uh, the young girl who played Ren, mm-hmm. whose name is, oh, Kristen Cooey. That was mm-hmm. her name. Um, just like the two of them were just like so good, riveting to watch. Um, uh, it's just like it still floors me that Dave Bautista is such a movie star. <laughs> he really, <laughs> he really pulled it off in this movie. Um, but it did. It was so gorgeous to look at. Like the entire time, I'm so glad I saw it at the theater. Because this is a movie that really deserved to be seen at the big screen. It was shot on film. Um, uh, the lighting was just like just these gorgeous shots of this cabin and the woods where they were. Um, and then a number of sort of tricks of light would kind of come in once in a while to hint at what may or may not be going on in this kind of religious, uh, culty sort of <laughs> storyline that's happening about the end of the world and this, you know, one family of unspecial people, just normal people who have to, you know, consider making uh, a huge sacrifice to save the entire world. And uh, so I think it was beautiful. There was a lot to think about and just like, yeah, stunning performances. Really, really good. It's probably one of Shyamalan's best films since like his first few. Mm. Um, It was, it felt like a bit of a return to form for him. Uh, mm. even though there was no like Shyamalan twist or some people decide <laughs> that the end is a twist. I'm like, actually, that was the most obvious <laughs> answer. But So maybe that is a twist that he didn't, he didn't do some sort of twist. I don't know. <laughs> the twist is that there's no twist. He did it again. Uh, Peter, what's your number four? <laughs> All right. Um, well, first things first, I do just want to give a shout out. Like I, I love Barbie. I love Dungeons and Dragons too. I just, so many are talking about it and like as a result of that they just didn't feel fully right in my five but i just wanted to say like they're they're wonderful um i'm enjoying the 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 heck out of baldur's gate 3 the game um (laughs) so like um dungeons and dragons this year just all around you're you're doing it um but i didn't pick it i picked uh the comedy bottoms um it's free right now. It's on Prime, um, directed by Emma uh, Selgman, and uh, starring Ayo Adebiri, one of my favorites, and Rachel Sennett, another one of my favorites. Um, it's just, again, really hilarious from beginning to end comedy, um, and, you know, like, liberal as well. I also, I want to say, for credits, I'm not being political. I mean, social, social liberal, like, like that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying vote liberal or whatever um but bottoms yeah it's just really great um it's hilarious from beginning to end uh, a standout for me is actually the villain um played by uh, nicholas galatine um another film this year that i surprisingly i really like it's good romance uh, red white and royal blue um mm. but yeah nicholas uh, galatine he's openly gay actor um and like does those kinds of films red white and royal blue more like hallmark romance kind um like gay romance kind, but he's just like super. He claims to be in the film straight evil villain. He just, <laughs> he's so good at it. He really is. Um, and even though she's like booming right now, a list. Um, Ayo Adebiri. It's mainly TV, so it's just really was great seeing her on the big screen as like lead, lead, not you know co-star as in um, the bear. Um, but yeah, the plot is just 
um, her and her best friend, uh, PJ and Josie. Um, they're both gay and uncool. Uh, so they start like a woman's club of how to, you know, push away guys, like a, like a legit serious one. Um, you know, like guys that are, you know, going to attack you or whatever, but they also use it just to like hang out more with the two popular girls that they have a crush on. Um, and it's, it's, that's, that's, that's the film. Um, and there's just like a lot of wild stuff that goes on, uh, (laughs) with the villain, like I said. Uh, Nicholas Galaxy Jeff, he's he's a real over the top villain. Um, and yeah, it, it's great. It's literally just uh, PJ Josie, Rachel Sana, and Ao Adebiri trying to, you know, um, who is oh, it's, and it's it's the person that um, the main loves PJ uh, is, is Gerber. So like someone who's like a model and that she's always like Cindy Crawford's daughter. So she's kind of <laughs> playing like a pseudo version of herself. It's just it's a great comedy beginning to end. Um, and I really, if you know, as most people do now, Ayo Adabiri, I really recommend this. Um, and uh, Emma Silliman is great director. Uh, she also mm. made Shiva Baby. I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's it's mm-hmm. a comedy um, with more of a focus on Judaism than uh, the gay culture. But yeah, really great. Bottoms, it's free on Prime. I'd recommend it. Uh, great. Um, my number four for something completely different, uh, how to blow up a pipeline, Daniel Goldhaber's movie about eight young people who decide to, uh, get revenge on the oil company that has affected them all by blowing up a pipeline, but doing it responsibly in the responsible, environmentally friendly way. Um, it is great. Uh, eight young actors in it. Um, I'm going to read Ariel Barber, Christine Froseth, Lucas Gage, Forrest Goodluck, Sasha Lane, Marcus uh, Scheibner, Jamie Lawson, and Jake Weary. Um, everyone's great. Everyone does like solid character work. There's real tension, also some humor, but it's it's a I, I'm almost glad this movie isn't more popular because it really feels incendiary and dangerous. Um, it, it just feels like in this moment where, you know, we're struggling to get a handle on climate change um, in in the wrong hands, uh, we might be seeing some (laughs) pipelines blow up in real life. Um, Just, it it, it is a true heist movie, but it's got that kind of serious social message. Um, But it's also really, really well made. The, the, the editing is so tight. Um, The pacing is good. And the young actors in it are are also really, really good. And I I wish this movie was getting more attention, but I'm almost also glad that it isn't getting more attention. But um, you should check it out, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, Okay, let's get into our number threes. Back to you, Tim. Thanks, Adam. My number three uh, film is Asteroid City, Wes Anderson. Uh, It's... I, I have an interesting relationship with Wes Anderson because I like uh, some of his most acclaimed works, but I also like the Darjeeling Limited one of my favorite movies he's done. Um, and this one is, it's very interesting because it's, it's got that color palette of Wes Anderson. It's got his whole visual sense, all the characters um, that you'd expect, all the big names uh it's in black and white and in color it's a period piece in the 50s uh but it's got all that style yet 
you know, like a tear was coming to my eye at the end of it. Cause it's, uh, I, I, there, there's something deep there that, you know, you can't achieve with AI or, you know, what, <laughs> um, something deeper there. Uh, you know, when he's really looking at the loss, um, the loss of a, a mother, um, and Jason Schwartzman doesn't want to tell his kids about he's procrastinating talking about the loss of their mother. Um, Tom Hanks is like the surly father-in-law saying, you need to do it. The all American kind of guy. Um, and I think all the characters mesh together really well. And there's some real meta moments to it as well. So you've got, it's apparently a play that's taking place on a TV show. And then you go behind the scenes to see the actors in the play. <laughs> and the two lead actors are Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson. And they both uh, deliver excellent performances. Scarlett Johansson is a great actor. I think, you know, sometimes she's so beautiful, people maybe don't realize as much. But some of the films she's done recently, like Marriage Story, this, um, Jojo Rabbit, gr great actor. And she delivers well in this as someone who's like a starlet of the time, who's kind of pressured, uh, has a lot of pressure on her being in this role. Um, there's you know, alcohol use, I think drug use in it, if I recall correctly, there's quite a bit going on here. And she devel develops a really strong relationship with the Jason Schwartzman character. And in the in this ensemble, they uh, Wes Anderson really focuses in on those characters and how they're dealing like with trauma and loss. And at the same time, that sounds pretty heavy, but it's a lot of funny moments as well. A lot of great cameos. Jeff Goldblum as the alien who comes down um, to get. There's a meteor that's landed in what they're calling Asteroid City, which has been turned into this uh, tourist mecca. The alien comes down, grabs the asteroid without saying a word, and then goes back up. <laughs> then comes back later and has inventoried that 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 meteor. And that's all great. And then you see behind the scenes with Jeff Goldblum talking about how he got into character for this wordless role as a, as an alien. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, makes you laugh. And then it's it's it, it's really, really deep, too. I think it's one of his best movies uh, Wes Anderson's done. And I really enjoyed it. So number three on my list is Asteroid City. Just Perfect. out of curiosity. Because it came out, I think, yesterday. Variety listed it as one of the worst films of 2023. I personally loved it, too. Darjeeling Limited also surprisingly my favorite, Anderson. But, uh, mm. yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I know it's caused yeah. a, a bit of an uproar for Variety. I, yeah, I think I could see that. You know, it, it, I think some people just see the style and think it's just empty style. But I think there's more to it than that. And Darjeeling Limited, like you mentioned, I just saw that about a year ago for the first time. I'd put it off. I'd heard it was one of his lesser works, but it's really good. And, you know, there's certain ones he's done like Rushmore, which are universal. I really like it. But I'm kind of hit or miss. Like Royal Tenenbaums, I didn't like, you know, and that's like mm -hmm. one of his most acclaimed films. But um, yeah, I think I think it's he, he makes it so each person sees something different in the film. So that's probably what happens like People have right in, didn't see it, thought it was just empty uh, style exercise, but to each their own. Usually the best works are the ones that have divided critics, you know. That smelled like, like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. You know, 
That smelled like one of those yeah. picks where they put it on the worst of list to get people talking about it. Um, because yeah, and it worked. But yeah, I, mean, I, th- oh, I think it, it worked more yeah. attention than actual like truth. <laughs> yeah, it worked all right. Uh, Candace, let's get to your number three. <laughs> yes. Um, just on that, I'm intrigued now. Uh, I want to see Asteroid City, but I will uh, make it a plan to see it before the end of the year, and I'll I'll give the definitive uh, you know review on it. Okay. Um, in the meantime, my number three is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, uh, which is just it's it was so lovely it was such a lovely film and i think that it's a film that that any gender can watch any age can watch it's a coming of age story about a 11 year old girl and her friends as they're going through puberty developing breasts getting their period having you know feelings for boys which feels like a very sort of feminine storyline um but i think it was just it was set it was just so nicely done that i think anyone can can enjoy it because they did this um this is based on a book by judy bloom the book was very you know targeted to young girls and it was told from um margaret's storyline like her her point of view but this movie they sort of freshened it up a little bit it's still set in the 70s like the book was but they have added a little bit more of the adult uh, characters and uh, Rachel McAdams of course plays her mom and so gets to really explore sort of a different coming of age that happens you know as as uh, a woman as a wife as a mother what happens when you sort of get to a point where your daughter maybe doesn't need you the same way she did before you know we all become adults apparently around 12 or 13 <laughs> according to some religions and some puberty <laughs> uh and so while i don't think that that's actually the case there is definitely a very huge divide in how um kids relate to their parents and how parents relate to their kids after that age so they really sort of broadened the story a little bit which i think did a lot of good for it and made it just you know easier for everyone to watch and honestly this movie has 99% on rotten tomatoes from the critics and 95% from the audience so it 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 hit the perfect balance i think to just get everybody to love it uh amazing amazing um uh acting by abby ryder forston as well who's playing young margaret she was so believable uh you could feel what she was feeling and it was not cringy, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a risk of doing this sort of story. Mm-hmm. No, um, Adam Neiman actually had it at number five on his best, his top five list. So um, I'm glad it's getting a lot of love here at the end of the year. Uh, Peter, your number three, please. Okay, so... Um... <clears throat> Even though it was released, I think, at TIFF, mm. late 2022, wide release, 2023, <laughs> so I counted it. Um, I picked, it wasn't me that reviewed it, but it was reviewed. Uh, I like movies. Um, mm-hmm. Just really took me aback. You know, I like, I, I expected something heartwarming, fun, but uh, there was just so much more layers of the character than i thought are so much more um so much more given to the atmosphere to really feel like i'm part of it 
Um, and I also think for me, and I think it's the same for other people who would have been his, his age in the film, the lead character or twenties or whatever. But um, when it was said, I was about 10 or 11 and would, you know, bike to Blockbuster or Rogers daily <laughs> to, you know, like grab some movies, pick it up and then some Pizza Hut on the way back. Right. And it was, it was great. So I was able to relate to that part. So jealous. He was able to get a job at one that was not available by the time I was old enough for said jobs, but it was just really great seeing that. And I think too, what really, and I think literally like nine, 90% of people, I do have a lot of friends from like high school when I was a kid that like, I'm still cool with, but like, there's a lot of people like closest people that after high school, things change. Right. And that that's okay. And that's like one of the diff- most difficult parts of going from, you know, being a teen high school to the next stage. And it, I think really shows um, how that's okay to happen. If anything, it could be better. It's a new mm. chapter of your life. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it does that. Well, also personally, it, it, that this isn't, well, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. This is, it's the kind of film where it's a, he ends up going to um, Carleton university and I go mm. to Carleton university. So there was some connection there. Um, the very, which, last... which one of those two things are a spoiler? Uh, oh, I guess him picking Carleton university is, is kind, of, kind of a spoiler. <laughs> he loves, uh, he wants that NYU, the whole film, but you know, the whole film, he's not going to get NYU, but yeah. Um, yeah, he really wants it. Um, and I also, um, I like him. I, I, not for the same reason. I think it doesn't say, but I think it's kind of implied, um, uh, autism of, of some level, um, back then probably what they would have called Asperger's, but it's just autism now um, for all of it. And it just does a great uh, job of that really showing the, the issues he deals with. Um, But also sometimes like kind of the one on the right, right. Maybe we're, we're thinking too much about some of those uh, social reactions. Um, But I also, and a lot of people I think dealt with the same, even if you don't have autism, I, I have OCD and anxiety and would, would would overthink about social matters, which can come off in the same way. So I, I think so many people are able to relate to this film. Uh, it's set beautifully in the two thousands. Um, like, um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Not shoved into your face. You know what decade it is. Um, yeah, it's just really great. Uh, I should clarify the the plot. It's just uh, a kid. He has a friend. They like movies together. They grow apart because the main character gets a job at. Um, a rental store and just, you know, dealing with life and going to college. Um, mm. It's fun, simple plot, but really, really remarkable film. Yes. And it, it has the best university of Guelph joke in any movie ever. Um, that's a good pick. I like that one. Uh, my number three, um, also kind of a coming of age, at least for a third of it. Um, it's past lives. Celine songs, uh, feature debut, which takes place in three different eras of the lives of two people who, uh, grow up together in Korea. And, uh, Nora, who is the young lady, she moves to Canada with her family and, uh, leaving behind, uh, the boy, um, who is, um, you know, left in Korea. He later joins the military. They reconnect over Skype 12 years later. And, things you know they keep having these missed moments they trying to coordinate a time when one can visit the other and eventually they lose touch again and then they reconnect 12 years later where he actually goes to new york uh hey song 
uh, and to meet Nora, and they have this beautiful reconnection to talk about like what their lives could have been, and um, maybe this is like one stop, one connection in a series of connections over many lifetimes. Uh, it's terribly beautiful, terribly heartbreaking. Uh, the last scene is uh, so gut wrenching. Just watching Nora slowly walk back to her apartment after uh, seeing Hey Sung off in his cab, and uh, the two leads, Greta Lee and Tao Yu, uh, they're so good together. It's uh, you know just thinking about it chokes me up. It's just such a beautiful movie. It's so heartfelt, and um, yeah, it's 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 well worth. And Tim and I talked about it. I hadn't seen it when we were talking about movies we wanted to see before the end of the year a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't seen it yet. And it's like I want to be able to sit down and watch and just sort of like bathe in this movie. And that's what I did. And uh, I'm so glad it's it's it was such an emotional journey. Um, well, that brings us to the halfway point of our uh, show. So we're going to take a quick break and come right back with the top two of 2023. You're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. When did the other owners even get... I'm sorry, what What changed here, man? The owners did not find you to be of good character and integrity. I don't know what the hell that means. Gary, what the fuck is this? You know, it's funny. It's one thing to have a secret plan to fuck over the NHL and move a team to Canada. It's another thing to brag to your rich friends before you actually do it. You guys are so fucking stupid. You know what? Maybe I'll buy this whole fucking league. Huh? How about that? Don, can we see that Mr. Bald Silly gets safely back to Canada? Oh, fuck all you people! Fuck you! Get ready for a hostile takeover of this entire fucking league, okay? You fuck! You think I won't fucking do it? I'm from Waterloo! WHERE THE VAMPIRES HANG OUT! And we are back. Time for the top two of 2023. Tim, you get... Well, this is an order we determined before, so it's not like you're getting in any extra privileges, but uh, you, get to, you get to be the first one to tell us your top... your, your, your number two of the year. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it, Adam. I'm here. Uh, number two on my list is Past Lives, so... Mm-hmm crossover with the one you just selected for number three uh i agree with everything you said about it it's very powerful uh emotional film the director celine uh celine song is actually she grew up in markham ontario so mm-hmm. we can claim her as canadian mm-hmm. um <laughs> and the story talks about that a little bit it's kind of like on the cutting room floor wasn't in the script how her family lives in toronto 
So she moves, like you said, from Korea when she's 12. She has this really close relationship with her childhood uh, male friend. And then it's just severed at the at 12 years old when her family moves. It's implied that they move to Toronto. And then mm. she ends up in New York City uh, making, uh, you know, going forward in the arts and uh, as an author. Uh, and her, her husband's an author. Um, her husband's uh, white and uh, American, and she meets him at like an artist colony. Um, but it <laughs> it has those twelve years uh, segments, so it's really fascinating to watch because there's it's like their their relationship, which is so tight, is severed because she moves away at the age of twelve. Then he finds her on Facebook twelve years later, reaches out to her, and then they have a meeting on on Zoom or Skype. Um, and it's just like she can't stop just looking at him uh, in wonder. <laughs> and that's throughout the film. Um, there's some great silences where she's just looking at him and you can understand. It's like you haven't seen this person. They've grown up now. You remember them when they're 12. You were so tight with them when they're 12. Now you're seeing that person and she's just staring. And it's like, <laughs> like, I think it's best acting of the year I've seen between the two and so much of it's done in silence. Yeah. Um, Cause you can understand where she's coming from. And like you said, that final scene where, so there's these 12 year increments there's okay. She moves and then 12 years later they reconnect. Um, and he, she's not attached to anybody. He's not attached to anybody, but she's building her career in New York city and she's like i can't come back to korea i can't i'm new i'm um this is my new path here in new york city so then another 12 years pass they get together and then she's married at that point and he visits new york city says he's just there on vacation but obviously he's there to see her and then that the the uber ride at the end or when she's walks away and leaves him with an uber mm. and then she like breaks down that's just it's mm. just powerful and mm -hmm. to me, those are the, it's like best acting of the year, best filmmaking, because it's so restrained and simple in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would highly recommend it. It is on streaming. Yeah. Uh, it's readily available. It's been out for a while. So Past Lives, number two on my list. Really enjoyed it. Yep. I agree completely. Candace, you're number two. Yeah. So my number two um, is... Uh, something we we uh, covered on the show uh, it was uh, totally a revelation to me because uh, <laughs> as we discussed algorithms uh, are bad sometimes and they <laughs> they hide really good movies like they clone Tyrone mm -hmm. which uh, came out this year it's Jamie Fox and John Boyega and uh, Teona Paris in this like sci-fi sort of existential <laughs> story <laughs> um where uh it takes takes a a lot of the movie before you really understand what's going on but mm -hmm. you know you sort of think that maybe this is like a like a groundhog day sort of thing where john boyega's character is killed uh fairly early on <laughs> um in the in the screen time um and then suddenly he just wakes up and there he is again and so you know okay we're doing sort of a groundhog day thing he's living the same life over and over again um which is sort of the story but as it turns out it's really uh, more of a uh, as i say an existential sort of thing where these people are just uh uh 
they're just clones. Some of them, some of them are clones and some of them are experiments and some of them have fake lives and you get really, you get a lot, you get a lot in this film. Um, most importantly, you get Jamie Foxx as, mm -hmm. uh, Slick Charles, the, um, lo local two-bit, uh, <laughs> pimp. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, Taona Paris as Yo-Yo, uh, as, who is one of his, uh, working girls uh is is great she uh obviously is the brains of the entire operation um <laughs> but uh this was uh it was a netflix uh uh show that just i i it it didn't show up and i actually i really work hard to go out of my way to try to uh to watch um films that that uh, star or are written by or directed by black people to make sure that those things do sort of show up in my algorithms. And yet this still just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And and I had mm -hmm. to to search it out. Uh, but I'm so glad I did watch it. And uh, yeah, second best of the year for me. Perfect. Uh, Peter, you're number two. Okay, so number two for me um is and it's perfect to watch right now because it is in my opinion uh a christmas film uh <laughs> 2023's the holdovers uh by alexander payne uh his first in a bit uh starring paul giamatti and one of my favorite current actresses uh mm. joy randolph she mm -hmm. is uh wonderful in it and even though like it got canceled and like i understand the criticism she is objectively outstanding in um hbo's the idol uh, mm -hmm. she's a main character um <laughs> and literally like for the film i was just expecting paul giamatti and um uh what's the name of the actor uh dominic thessa the uh the, the lead lead the young student yeah um angus but uh mary lamb uh who devine played um in it in it a heavy amount and like very very um fascinating sad strong uh side storyline that she has yeah. um but her side um she just deserved to mention like paul giamatti is outstanding in it um it's so different than um uh you know Oppenheimer, um <laughs> but in its own way like just a very remarkable remarkable job um the one yeah he's he's so good in it um and he actually reminds me too of my really kind of like really good prop but kind of strict a little grumpy uh grade 12 history prop uh mm. who helped me you know go go into history so there was some connection there i, I think like everybody they'll be able to relate a bit you know i, I think most people probably a teacher they didn't like mm. uh but there'll still be some so you'll still get some humor from mm. that um but no it's like there's just like the three people in like this big uh beautiful old school dorm in beautiful beautiful winter new england um you know they're both alone they don't really have any loved ones um so they just deal with each other end up like getting on with each other and you know help each other out um and the further you go the further you get hints of what's going on outside of the school for them and, and they end up helping each other with it um it's honestly it's and i, I love these kinds of films i think some link letters are like it like everybody wants some um it's just a simple plot but there's just so much depth put into like the characters and the environment that they're in um and in this that includes the cinematography it's filmed in new england and it's 
it's beautiful. I've been to England and like it's beautiful, but you know, whoever did the cinematography for this, uh Eigel Browd, uh mm. made it look even better than it does in real life. <laughs> um it, yeah. it, it's it's quite great. It's also um set in the seventies too, and it, it, but it, it doesn't you know, it doesn't shove that into your face. Um and even though there is like there's just Paul Giamatti, Dominic Sessa, Divine Joy Randolph, like main main. There is some other side characters sprinkled throughout, including the um, custodian, who's a lot of fun, mm. and just some other other characters along the way that, that mm. add to the, including Hercules, uh, Tate Donovan. He's briefly in it, so if you like Hercules <laughs> and OC, you'll you'll see him. He's he's you find out you think oh at first it's Paul Giamatti, right? No, no, no. You find out he's the true villain. So mm-hmm. if you want to see Hercules as a villain for one scene. I would recommend the holdovers, but no, just um, sim- si- simple plot, but uh, that just gives it so much more time for the characters and the environment. Um, it's a really heartwarming film uh, and great for the holidays, the holdovers. See Candace heartwarming. Mm-hmm. She had doubts about uh, Alexander yeah. Payne. Yeah. His name is Payne. His There's a reason Payne. for that. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Speaking of pain, though, uh, my number two is uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I understand why, you know, people may have some ambivalence about a white director tackling the subject matter. Um, But hey, Martin Scorsese, he did not take the easy way out on this. I mean, this is not the movie you want to make when you're like 80 something years old. And, you know, people are going to be coming at you with, with how you do it and why you're doing it. He did not take the easy path, which was to follow the plot of the book, which is essentially about how the FBI, how, how this incident informed the creation of the FBI. He took the much more difficult patch, path, which is to explain how um, this is uh, the story of America. Um, in, in this one microcosm, this thing that happened in Oklahoma in the 1920s. It's a microcosm for America. It's also a microcosm for Martin Scorsese movies, which is about how a bunch of greedy, violent um lucky men think they're smarter than they are and and will com- keep committing crimes until they end up tripping themselves up it's the it's a really great bookend to his filmography um also great performances like he brings his two leading men together robert de niro and and leonardo dicaprio it's it's great to seeing them bounce off each other a lot of great musicians doing great acting so like sturgill simmons uh jason Istel. Charlie uh, Mosselwhite, uh, Robbie Robertson doing the score, his last piece of of music. Um, but I mean, it sort of begins and ends with Lily Gladstone, who is the anchor in this. Um, so great, she's she's a giant. Um, she's doing great acting, um, and and just just an incredible range. Just you know, she really captures the full range of this woman's emotional experience as she's going through all of this tumult and trauma and violence and um you can tell that scorsese really admires her and also rare scorsese kind of heroine um he doesn't do a lot of like female heroes too often and you know it's interesting here at the end um if it is the end if this is his last film i don't think it will be but that we get a really great female scorsese character who sort of rises up above all this madness and and walks off um keeping herself intact despite this maelstrom she ends up in so 
it's also a beautiful film, really well shot, really well made. I was glued to the whole scene. I know some people don't like the length of it, three and a half hours, but I mean, I did not notice the time bot go by. So it's 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 a really great movie, um, whether it's Scorsese or not. But it, it, it I I found it remarkably engaging, despite how difficult the subject matter is. But it's it's well worth seeing now that it's on VOD. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for, which is the number one movie of the year. So, Tim, let us know what is your number one of 2023. Uh, my number one movie, and uh, kudos to Peter, picked at number three, is I Like Movies. It's my number one movie of the year. <laughs> I thought like, I thought it was just incredible. It's uh, described as a comedy drama, and there's a lot to laugh about, but it's a real deep story like peter was saying um and uh, fun facts about it the director chandler uh, chandler levac um mm. i watched the movie didn't know i thought that was a male name and it's a female director and she's inverted her uh own experiences growing up in burlington working at a blockbuster and instead she's made it a male character who's played incredibly by isaiah Lettinen. Uh, in the lead role i thought he was he was great um there's sort of a a vibe to it that reminds me of super bad a little bit like he's mm. sort of like jonah hill and his friend would be more like the michael sarah character but the thing about his character it's it's complicated like peter said i i would say his his character is more mean-spirited than jonah hill and super bad mm. yet more likable at the same time it's kind of kind of interesting because you can relate to him he's got these big aspirations he wants to go to nyu film school costs like ninety thousand dollars <laughs> his mom he's got a working mom working single mom mm. who's like and, and that scene that was mentioned in the car where he's she's like don't you want to go to any canadian universities and he's like mom where am i going to go to guelph for tourism and business management i want to be a <laughs> filmmaker and uh, for anybody who's really, really into film and probably knows people, people like that or maybe like that themselves who are really aspiring to be to be filmmakers. So you can really relate to that character. Um, and yeah, there's so much to laugh about. But at the end of the day, uh, it's it's touching. It's heartwarming. Um, another fun fact is he works in sequels uh, and they took uh, a, a closed down blockbuster from Owen sound, Ontario. They took the insides of it to create a <laughs> uh, sequel. So it looks totally like a blockbuster uh, and it's available on streaming might be my algorithms. I haven't watched it yet on Netflix, but it pops up a lot for me on Netflix. So mm. take a look for, I like movies on Netflix. It's Canadian and I, objectively it's my i think the best movie i have watched this year which is pretty incredible so yeah number one i like movies for the record it kind of barely missed my top five but yeah i i, I would endorse it anyway um candace you're number one yeah so i will say that um unfortunately because of the way I was looking at my list of movies, I Like Movies was not on it since it was technically a 2022 release. But if I had considered it, it would have been my my number one as well. It's the only top 
like five star movie I've watched this year and just fills in number 16 of my top like I have 15 <laughs> movies at top at five stars only and this one just was added to it so technically that would be my number one except I am pedantic apparently and uh, said it came out in 2022 um <laughs> so my number one uh is a movie we have talked about a few times and it's Barbie mm-hmm. um uh yes I am basic I am I am woman hear me hear me basic about barbie but uh <laughs> i i love this movie and it's interesting um tim when you said uh it was fine that like you went in and it kind of met your expectations and you had pretty high expectations i was the exact opposite i went in i didn't i wouldn't say i had low expectations but i went in thinking this is going to be like some silly ridiculous funny movie that I will enjoy. It'll be a good time. And uh, that is not what the movie is at all. In fact, it's like it was a a real it was that also. But there was so much in there about like who we are, who we're expected to be, Mm. trying to find the balance between being who we are and who we're expected. And what what is that in between? Yes, there was lots of stuff about feminism and the patriarchy and stuff, but I didn't even necessarily see it that way as a dichotomy about gender because, you know, first we have this beautiful scene of Barbie, uh, you know, trying to figure out who she's who she's looking for in the real world. And we get all these, like, gorgeous sort of flashbacks and then just a moment of, like, peace and quiet as we look through sunlight coming through these trees, like, tree leaves rustling, which was just beautiful and who's going to expect that in like the biggest movie of the year about a Mattel toy and then she turns to this lovely older woman and says you're so beautiful which was perfect as enough like that was perfect enough just the way it was but then the woman responds and says I know it I was like I was bawling I'm practically bawling right now recounting it it was just so incredible but the moment even though I love that moment the moment when I decided that this was, as I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is the best movie of the year. This is, this is, there, nothing is going to top this, was when Ryan Gosling was singing, uh, I'm Just Ken. And mm-hmm. not at any particular point. There were lots of points in there that I really loved, but it was suddenly when suddenly Simu Liu Ken comes in and they're doing the sharks versus the jet like dance off and then they like hold hands and you've got this like flying v of kens and i was like how how do we do this this is incredible this is the best movie of the year nothing is going to top this i mean ken literally sings is it my life to live and die a life of blonde fragility like this is this movie is as much about ken as it is about barbie and maybe even more about ken as Ken has to decide who he is and find out like what he is. And I think that that's so important in this place where we are right now, where I am a feminist. I believe that women can do anything in the world. I think it's great where we are, but I think that we've done a disservice to men by not also giving them a story. The story Mm. has just been, well, you can't do that anymore. No, you're Mm. not just automatically allowed to be the top guy. Mm. Yes, that's something that that people have to learn, but we have to give them a story to hold on to, to know how do I be a man in this world now? And to me, this movie did that as well. And it's just as 
as Adam has said, it's a miracle that this movie even exists and that it was so good and that it was given such a huge budget. The only reason it's not a five-star movie, it's a four-and-a-half-star movie, is because of the entire Mattel storyline. We don't need any of that. We, we literally need none of it whatsoever. We could have had the entire mm. movie just pull all of that out. The only good thing about that Mattel storyline was meeting Rhea Perlman as the yeah. woman who invented. Yeah. But we could have done that in a different way. It didn't have to be in the Mattel building since yeah. she's dead. So it could have yeah. happened anywhere. <laughs> yeah, true. But yeah. Would have been five stars if it weren't for the Will Ferrell of it all. Yeah, real, real Perman's the MVP of that movie for sure. I at least I think so. Uh, Peter, you're number one. Well, I just I first want to say, uh, real Perman, her wearing a cheer shirt, right? So her second, that's right, her yeah. second call out. She's <laughs> she's the lead of this episode, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, it's. I also want to say my my favorite. And it, it, they did it perfectly. It's definitely a Noah Baumbach writing. And it's just, it was to show that, like, not all stereotypical guys are like the jock stuff, right? Like, but mm. you're still stereotypical, you know, like patriarchal or all of that. That Stephen Malcolmus is mentioned. Pavement is brought up really briefly by the, uh, I think, the, the fashion Ken, the, um, the, the sex education actor, his Ken. But it, it, that's mm. one of my favorite parts. And just, I think, going off of what, you know, it's it's definitely like a known Bobak edition, but it's also like shows <laughs> more like layers to us, but also how we can like learn to, you know, like be more like feminist ourselves and stuff too. It's just I like pavement. I like that it was mentioned. That's all I wanted to mention, really. Barbie's awesome. But my fifth pick is not Barbie, even though it's awesome. <laughs> it is 2023's Blackberry. Honestly, I'm surprised it wasn't picked by anybody. Um it, it did come out like I think January, February. It's been a while, um, but BlackBerry for me was just like I've seen it about five times. You know, big screen, small screen, smaller screen on my phone, all screens, and it's <laughs> it's it's so it's just the acting, Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton especially outstanding, and the music is so good and it alongside the cinematography really know how to make it fast paced when necessary slower when not and they're able to not just give us like a visual look of the blackberry history but the same feeling that um the people who had stock shares probably felt um <laughs> it's it, it's so weird it's literally about the making mm -hmm. of blackberry but it's an action film really it's 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 wonderful. And especially, I love Jay Baruchel, but Glenn Howerton, the only not Canadian, um, as Jim Basile is, he's he's so good. He really is. Especially the whole, because my wife's from Hamilton, so like I've heard about it so much. They, um, you know, <laughs> them trying to, them trying to like, I forget, I forget the, what American team it is, but trying to like just secretly switch it, the Penguins, and yeah, switch it over to the yeah. uh, the Hamilton, and um, him getting like booted from that, and his like freak out is is so well done, um, and Matt Johnson too. I've seen all his films. This one just as great as the ones prior. It's really awesome seeing a Canadian director, you know, mm -hmm. going forth in a really grand way. And his character too, Doug Fregan, very funny, um, and you actually learn more information from this than he was given prior um this one is like when we first learned he still got like he he sold out his stocks at the perfect time and yeah. now we know he's he's still like a billionaire he's still super rich um but he's just 
a great guy, funny in the film. Um, director too. Um, yeah, beginning to end, it's just it's just fun. It's just amazing acting, cinematography, music, fast paced, and um, as someone from Guelph too, uh, and I think just all Canadians, uh, Blackberry was like a huge part, right? Yeah, um, my mom's a librarian at Guelph, so she like she was forced to like have that as as her phone to use and stuff, and she liked it, but. Yeah, it's Blackberry. Um, been part of my life, and the film just also happened to be near perfect. So, mm-hmm. of course, it's my number one film of the year. Yeah, that scene Blackberry. at the that scene at the NHL board meeting where he where Balsilli barges out and promises revenge because he's from Waterloo, where the vampires live, is uh, is pretty great. Um, one of the reasons why it's also my number one of the year, Blackberry. Um, there are so many movies this year about like products. Um, this is the only one where it wasn't like reverential of the product. This is a real rise and fall story. It's a real Icarus story. They flew too close to the sun and their wings melted. There's no BlackBerry phones anymore. Although BlackBerry did create the smartphone industry as we know it. In another reality, uh, BlackBerry becomes Android. But that was not this reality because you have these characters who stumbled into something that became so big and they had no idea how to manage it. Um, so they end up doing criminal things, which is kind of what all kind of people who, who have some vision, but not necessarily capability end up doing, it seems. But yeah, Howerton, um, the fact that he is uh, an independent spirit, I think he's independent spirit award nominee or a critic circle nominee. Um, that is great because I hope that like is parlayed into some sort of awards potential. He really does deserve it. He is so, um, like he has he has a gravitational force in this movie as Balsilli and like Baruchel Johnson. You get Carrie Elways in this. Uh, Michael Ironside as Purdy, like this guy they bring in to like manage the engineering team. He is so great. Um, just throwing his weight around. It he he is excellent. Everybody's excellent. The needle drops, like Peter said. Um. And you know the the fact that this is like a real rise and fall story. This feels like a Hollywood script of what a tech company, what the rise and fall of a tech company looks like. But it's real life, and it's it's it, it feels like it really captures uh, a moment here in a way that you know sort of other tech industry films about the tech industry, like Steve Jobs. It's critical of Jobs, but it's still kind of reverential of Jobs. This is not reverential at all. This is like watch these idiots make a billion dollars and then screw everything up. It is a real Canadian story and it's uh, a real fun movie as well as a, a real kind of character piece and think piece. And so uh, that's why it's number one for me, but that also brings us to the end of the show. So um, that's it for 2023 on to 2024 and we will see what movies we get at the end of next year, this time next year. But for now, that's the show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to our show again by downloading it every Friday on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com, at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or through your favorite app, through your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can also hear the music for End Credits by searching End Credits on CFRU on Spotify, and you can hear many of the songs that we play during the show. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz, although that is our annual political movie show, so more movies. 
Uh, in the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. We're going to go around the horn, and everyone's going to tell you where you can find them out there on the wilds of the internet uh, now and into the new year. So, Tim, where can people find you? Thanks, Adam. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. Um, I'm going to try to up my social media game this year. I'm on Flash in the Deadpan on social media. I'm working on a collection of short stories, so I'd like to put that out this year. But I'm procrastinating by writing a Seinfeld spec script. So uh, it came to me the other day, and I wrote a whole outline. So nothing like writing a script for a, a show that's been off the air for 25 years. But for anybody Seinfeld fans, I'd love to share it with you. And I uh, hope everybody has a... Happy and safe holidays. Thanks. I just want to say Tim's side projects are amazing. Candace, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, my reviews on Letterboxd are not going to be uh, near as funny, I'm sure, as a Seinfeld spec script. But uh, follow me on Letterboxd at Sin48. I guess you can look me up on other social medias under that, too. That's C-I-N-N-4-8. Uh, and, uh, you know, next year, watch for my Terrifier 3 review. <laughs> uh maybe watching it on this show uh peter uh where can people find you on the internet uh as per usual mr Tallerack on youtube and twitter and peter wesley salmon on uh letterboxd yeah that's it for me all oh, right uh, and like the other two said happy holidays hope everyone enjoys it be safe <laughs> no i hope everyone has great holidays be dangerous be dangerous <laughs> be bold oh uh, yes so that does bring us to the end of the show so uh, stay tuned for more great programming you're on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph Campus A Community Radio we'll see you uh, next year in 2024 Wednesdays at 3pm for more end credits and we will see you then